And when you've got a duality to your identity and you're part of another group that's been marginalised or oppressed or hated in the media or warned about in the media, you're going to feel that on multiple fronts. And that's the reality of that. So of course I would have felt several times throughout my life that I wished there was a straight pill. Hello and welcome back to the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Fergal Fox and today I'm speaking with Martin Beans Ward, who's here to talk to us about his work under the Traveller Wellbeing Through Creativity initiative that he and others were involved in last year. It's been run again this year, but Martin is a unique character because he's involved. He's, as I was telling him, he seems to be bubbling over with creativity. He's a comedian, writer, photographer. He's involved in Irish traveller oral history. He's involved in theatre. And he's just telling me about lots of other areas as well. There are many strings to your bow, Martin. There are indeed. I think most creative people are bubbling over and the only thing stopping people from being creative is the lack of opportunities. And I'm lucky that I've been presented with access routes towards these opportunities, just like the Traveller Wellbeing True Creativity project with Creative Ireland and yourselves. That was a massive moment for me because I suppose you can be creative, which is great, but it only it's, sometimes it only changes things for yourself as a creative type. That particular project was a photography project, but that was about amplifying voices of other travellers in a community. And that's something that I feel very strongly about now, not pulling the ladder up behind me and allowing other travellers to express themselves through the arts. So that was a perfect example of that. And I got to meet nine travellers across the country from different areas. So this is called Through Your Eyes, Through Our Eyes. Through Our Eyes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, as the name suggests, I suppose, it is a look at at the community through our own eyes, rather than always being, you know, photographed by non-travellers. Represented and misrepresented. Yeah, I I I think that's an accurate way to say it, actually, yeah. But also, you know, a photographer will, will, will take a shot of what, from their perspective, of what is deemed a good shot. And that's why the camera, when they take out a camera, they're not taking a thousand pictures per second. They're choosing what to what to take a picture of. And when you're a traveller taking pictures of other travellers, you, you you don't rush in with the camera. So that's I didn't do that. I sat and I had a conversation with them. We had a laugh and I got to know them, got to know what they wanted to do in life, what they were doing in life. And then you can see from the pictures the confidence that came out. And I, I took pictures at the start and I, I said to them, oh, I'm just testing. I'm just testing you know, the light and all that. Yeah, it's a key yeah. trick, isn't it? Oh, pure <laughs> trick, a pure trick. What I was actually doing was I wanted to show them at the end of the photo shoot what they were like on camera at the beginning and after having a conversation and then relaxing. One of the things I used to do as well in that project when I was finished the photo shoot well, actually, not even. Sometimes after a couple of shots, I might show them the pictures and say, look, this is what, this is what it's like. This is like, are you happy with that picture? Not really. Why? Uh, well, I don't like the way I'm, sh- I'm, I'm, I'm standing in that one or I think I could do a different pose or maybe I could sit there. I said, so do it then. Do you know? Yeah. Now, you, now, now, now you can see what well, I said. I, look at me only and How as, much time would you have been spending with them? Oh, a few hours in the day. And building up a rapport. And oh, yeah. Yeah, of, of sure. And I would have had numerous phone calls with them and Zoom calls and all that so I would have been in touch quite a lot but I wanted to show them this is what this is what you did in the first couple of shots now you know where you you feel you went wrong look at me only as somebody who's holding a camera I said just imagine you've 
been given a gift by one of your friends and it's a free photo shoot and you have that photographer for a limited period of time and that photographer will only take pictures of the poses that you put in front of them. Yeah. I said, think about the best picture that you can get. I said, and use me to your advantage. And that's exactly what they did. Every single one of them. Every time when I brought it down that I, that you're, look, this is you getting something from me, not me getting something from you. Photography won't work for me if I feel like I'm just, just taking yeah. from, the, from the person in front of me. That's nearly the opposite of what's usually done, isn't it? Like the informed photographer knows the shot, maybe have an idea and goes in. So it moves the parts yeah. himself. Says, I want you to hold this this way, do this that way. There's no consultation. There's no, no. talk. There's no trying to empower the subject. Yeah. And actually, on, on the note of empowerment, one of the themes that I went with, and I, it wasn't a conscious decision to go with this before the, the, the project started, but it was through meeting them, it was to platform these people. So if you look at most of the pictures, you can see that they're either at an elevated height. Emma Ward, for example, she's a wheelchair user. And if you look at most pictures taken of people in wheelchairs, and again, this is not me being, oh, look at me, I'm super woke. I'm so thoughtful. I'm so empathetic. It wasn't. It's the rational side of my brain was thinking, well, that's been done to death. You know, right. taking a picture of somebody in a wheelchair from an, and uh, the photographer from a standing position, always looking down on the person in the wheelchair. I didn't want that for Emma. So I lay on the ground. And I took an upshot of Emma and I kind of show and I just it was a beautiful moment because the sun was breaking through the trees behind her and just a little bit of the sun caught some of her hair and she was just in full glow. And it was a magnificent picture and you could see the confidence in Emma. And from that, just Emma alone in this project, and I go through some of the others, but Emma found her own confidence in sharing pictures of herself. She stopped using filters. She oh, said really? she spoke about this openly. I organized several different interviews for Emma on radio. RT then got in touch and they did a piece in her, came out to her house, took a pic, did a video actually of her. And now she's with the Schofield Trust and she's learning to be a journalist. So, so just just, just from that, her horizon a little bit. Just from that, just from that. I'm not going to take full credit. She's, course, she's put yeah. all the work in, but she's told me this herself and she said it in different interviews that it was that one moment where you know there was an exhibition in the photo museum and we had people from Creative Ireland there and she felt like for the, and this is what she said I felt like for the first time that I wasn't just a traveller I wasn't just a wheelchair user but I was somebody who was respected and wanted to be and you know people wanted to meet me and talk to me and she said mm-hmm. I want to start using my platform now to speak up for other wheelchair users. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly, I think, the objective of this. I should mention the other partners involved in this, as well as Healthy Ireland and the Department of Health, we have the Arts Council, Creative Ireland that you mentioned, and ourselves. Uh, I suppose, well, yeah, I suppose. I, know, I, I may have done a discredit to the, all oh, no, the funders, no, 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 no. but the reason why is because I would have been I would have been dealing more with Darney from uh, yeah. Creative Ireland. That was my point of contact. I leave all that other kind yeah, of no, no, admin <laughs> stuff to you guys. You worry about the, yeah. you know, make the, the box ticking. I just do the creative stuff. Okay? Well, from, from an administrative yeah. point of view, I suppose I see the background that there's a couple of key people and my own colleagues in HSE Health and Wellbeing, HSE Social Inclusion, coming together with they were like Creative Ireland and the and the Department of Health and Arts Council and offering putting this kind of funding opportunity together and, and you coming in with the creative ability and then bringing it to the ground level yeah. basically and making it real. 
and and the exhibition that you're talking about. I think it's That's nearly the crescendo, isn't it? But I think it's one of the it's one of the first times where you have so like so many different agents, I suppose, yeah, agents yeah, of yeah. the state or whatever, coming together and, and doing something around creativity. Like I don't remember any push at looking at how creativity and not just creativity actually, it's the expression of your creativity. That's the most important part. We're all creative in some way or some yeah. respect. But it's given the room to express that creativity. That's where the key lies. And that lies with opportunity. That wouldn't have happened had it not been for all of those people you just mentioned there, all of those groups coming together and, and finding the funding, first of all, doing the pilot and really getting behind it. Yeah, so there was three, I think, different pieces around it. It was the traveller piece, it was the mental health piece, and it was older persons. But you were involved in the in the traveller piece. So tell us a bit more about your subjects, I guess, or your, you know, the people that's nearly, it sounds like a bit of youth work you were really doing here. No, because all of these people were aged between 20 and 36. Right. So not really youth at all. Because I actually, I, I think that, well, there's a lot of good people out there working with youth. Yeah. But what happens when you go into adulthood? What's there? No, absolutely. That's yeah, where yeah. the drop off begins because there's ex- certain expectations on you. Ah, get a job. You know, you should be doing, you're looking after yourself now at this stage. You isn't don't need isn't to be, that a barrier to our own creativity that we think that at a certain age that yeah. we have to act in, get into a niche of yeah. some sort of a job and act normal and creativity or you must be one of the. 100%. That's why I wanted to go for that demographic. I do, see, I was already doing the oral history project with Traveller Elders, so I, it wasn't as if I was forgetting and neglecting my elders. I had something more in depth I wanted to do with them that just, it couldn't be captured in just pictures in, in this particular time. It is something I do want to come back to. But for the, the photography project, it was about that forgotten generation. Once you go into your 20s, right up to your 30s and 40s or whatever there's nothing really there to to help promote creativity in the community you and, know and the you know like i suppose creative ireland are that kind of force to bring different agents the yeah. state together and and but the link between well-being and creativity is very well established so mm-hmm. like this ha- this is something that we have to see as the new normal well again it's it's not even creativity fergal if you think about it if you're okay Perfect example, you're suffering with poor mental health, bordering on, I suppose, depression maybe, or or maybe you have depression, or maybe you've got anxiety or PTSD or, or whatever. One of, the, one of the main ways to combat that is what? For yourself. For anyone, for, for anyone. Engaging in social activity, engaging in anything that you think might be meaningful to outside yourself, maybe. Okay, so almost like you're 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 pursuing what makes you happy. Yeah, absolutely. You don't really do that when you're depressed, though, because no. what once made you happy doesn't anymore. So you you look for the next thing, which is talk therapy. You you try to talk to somebody. That's one of the first things you say. All you need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Talking is only another word for expression. To express yourself, to express yourself fully, to express your emotions. And we live in a country where our emotions are stunted anyway. You know, ah, oh, stop with you, stop with you, cop onto yourself. What are you, what are you, what are you crying for? What are you yeah, crying for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cop onto yourself. Down with that I'll give thing. you a reason to cry in a minute. That's the kind of Irish household that would have grown up in the 80s, 90s or whatever. And it was, thankfully, it's, it's, it's changing now. We're becoming more empathetic and aware, I suppose, and more trauma-informed. But expressionism is the same as talk therapy. And if you've got a creativity, 
you need to be able to express that creativity. You cannot express creativity within the Irish arts community unless you have some level of support or shown access routes. And all of that falls under one banner, and that's social capital. Building social capital is the key towards expressionism, is the key towards allowing people space and time to develop as an artist, allowing them space and time to show their creativity. What's the point being creative if nobody gets to see it? What's the point having the most beautiful song in the world if you're not allowed to sing it? Yeah. You need to be allowed to express it. So you've been on that journey yourself. Of course. Like through all your deals, identities that I introduced to you. And where did that start for you? What was the first thing that you thought, no, I I'm, I'm definitely have a gift here now? Uh, well, I don't know if oh, I've got on, a gift. I'll be totally on. honest. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I have a gift. I think what I have is a very active mind and a love for expressionism. That's why I can fit in between comedy or theatre, writing, podcasts. I've even done parody songs, photography then. It's all the same thing. It's all a form of expressing an artistic mindset or a thought or your team or, or an issue or an issue a social issue so so what at the, at its core this was a social issue around you know promoting well-being within the traveling community through creativity like through an artistic lens and it that's that's what I, I i can't say it enough it's vitally important this is this this needs to be rolled out across the country, not just for travellers, for everybody in school. It needs to be promoted more creativity. The, the the means and mechanisms need to be put in place to express themselves. Oh, if yeah. a child is growing up in a school that promotes expressionism, or or re, like does does a monthly short story competition and there's a prize, or yeah. do you know? Like, I, I don't understand why this hasn't been done more. Like, if that's where my... I started writing poetry when I was 11 years of age. Mm. I have over a thousand poems written to date. And I used to use... I remember, like, and it'll show you as well, if you read some of my older poems, it'll show you the metamorphosis of the mind over time, where the maturity starts to kick in. I remember at one point I was writing about... Uh, oh, I think it was... Uh, oh, that's what it was. It was a, it was a conversation being had about abortion. And it was it was happening as I was in school, and I oh I took to the page and at the time sure, the Blessed Virgin Mother sure I wasn't talking to her every day at that stage, and I grew up in a kind of it wasn't an overly religious house but I would have had religious grandparents and that, but I had this in my head, because I started listening to other travellers in the community oh that's the murder and babies now the murder and babies, and this will show you the mind of an eleven year old twelve year old, started to soak that up and I put pen to paper and I I remember reading it back there for years I actually shared it online just showing what I wanted people to realise was that that was a child writing this from a child's perspective people have different perspectives and they didn't get to express themselves throughout so conversation is good in situations like that when you're dealing with the traffic community especially around same sex marriage or the abortion referendum saying that you're point of view based on your traditional values doesn't matter because it's for the greater good that this law is brought in. That's fine. It was always going to be brought in. We're such a minority anyway. We'd never have changed the vote. But silencing the voices, people I wouldn't agree with myself personally, especially around you know the, the last two referendums. But it didn't matter what I what I what I thought. 
because if you constantly tell an already oppressed and marginalized community that your voice and your opinion doesn't matter, what it tells them is that you don't matter, that whatever your traditional values are doesn't matter. Whereas you could have a white upper or middle class politician on one side of the debate and the same on the other side of the debate and they're given more credit and you know respect yeah oh yeah oh well they're only talking sense so going back to you taking pen to paper over like an issue who who encouraged that poetry actually it was a teacher in my school later on no one really encouraged that poetry that was uh, that was actually a bit of escapism for me as a child I don't even know what I was trying to escape, so I must have done a good job because I've forgotten about those issues that an eleven-year-old or twelve-year-old might but have. You, but like you were saying, you're you're expressing. I was expressing everything. It wasn't yeah. just about that. What I'm saying is that even though I, my mindset has changed as I matured, obviously, I mean, you you learn things, you mature as a person, your mind matures along with your body. But I was giving myself the means to express myself. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Do you know? No, that's, and that's, that's why, so it was, it was important. I Even though not, no one read, I wasn't letting anyone read my poetry back then. But then I moved on into secondary school and can I name the lovely teacher? Well, absolutely. Give credit where it's due. It was Miss Anne Silk. She was actually brought in as a remedial teacher. And I remember in her class, she started getting myself and the other student to write creatively. Write what bothers you, is what she said. So I used to all the poetry, and she'd help me with my stanza constructions, the whole of the, oh the whole thing, and she. Was what year were we in? in second, oh, second oh, third. Yeah, that's great. young lad. Yeah, yeah, young lad is all it was, and then she started. She said to me, she said, "If you if you continue writing," she said, "I'll I'm telling you, I'll see you down and list all writers week yet." She was an avid fan. Oh, she's sparking your imagination. <laughs> I'll tell you now, last year. I did my first work in progress show of my, my theatre play, The Dead House. Yes. And I did it down at St. John's Theatre at the List Oval Writers Week. And when I finished it, I dedicated that to her. That's beautiful. Because, story, yeah. because it has come full circle. And I didn't, it was, she instilled in me that through the pen and through the word, you can change your world. You can create your world. And she said also that after school, you can choose to be wherever you want to be. She said, you can go to college or you can do whatever you want. And she said, you'll always have the ability. She said, you're bright, you're very smart. And it was that small bit of encouragement. That's, and I always, always, always remember it. I'll always remember that. And that's the reason why writing became so important for me. Performing, not allowing others' views to stop me from expressing myself creatively. And that was massively in contrast then to the experience that myself and other travellers had in art class in that same school going into junior cert art exams, where all of the traveller students were made sit at the same table at the front of the class, in front of the teacher. We were given A3, or do you know those big A, yeah, yeah. not A4, the ones bigger than that, Sheets of paper and colouring pencils where the rest of the class were allowed to use clay and paint. That wouldn't have changed had I not gone home at the age of 15 to my mother and said, there's something not right here. This, this, We shouldn't be forced to sit at the same table. We shouldn't be forced to not mingle with the rest of the class. They were allowed to move around desk to desk and play and talk to each other. We were told to sit where we were put. So my mother came into the school 
had a conversation with the principal I was brought in. I recently wrote about this actually on BBC's Forethought. I did an essay for them about this whole topic. And then everything changed. The art teacher was brought in and she couldn't have, she couldn't give an explanation why she was doing that. And it all changed after that. And that was my first moment of challenging authority when authority was wrong. And that was showing my mother also that there was something a little bit different about me. I wasn't just going to sit with the status quo. And I think that if I hadn't had Miss Anne Silk give me the ability to have belief in myself, I would have very easily left school before leaving cert. There wasn't even expectation for me yeah, to Yeah, no, there's, there's too many travellers still leave school early. So you were inspired and supported and able to challenge the system even through you got a bit of support from home as well. Look, uh, well, if, if you were to pull anything from what I just said there, there are great teachers. Yeah. There are not so great teachers. There are children who will take the positives and use that to overcome the negatives. And then there are going to be children who can only ever see the negatives and positives don't matter because they don't believe positives will ever bring about change. It's up to the teachers. It's up to that one teacher out of 15. If you see a child struggling or if you see a child that might be getting discriminated against for whatever reason or bullied or whatever, put them aside. Short conversation can go a long way from somebody in authority. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm reminded of the... You know, Jigsaw, the youth mental health organization. The, Fantastic their, organization. Their, their yeah. message around one strong adult and the influence that you can have, especially like just what you said there about pulling somebody aside and giving them that little bit of encouragement, telling them they're being noticed. We're all youth workers in some guise at some stage. We all have the opportunity to be. And uh, it's great to hear that little nugget because it sounds like you were repeatedly encouraged in that school. If I could have one wish for the education system is for each school in Ireland to have a teacher like Miss Anne Silk. I'll be totally honest with you. Because it wasn't just being a teacher. She was empathetic. She was a mother. She was a grandmother. Yeah. This yeah. is Ray Silk's mother, by the way. Oh, is this? The famous <laughs> footballer. Good, yeah. good, good. I want to come back to like the creative project that you did. You, you told us about the people that you worked with around that. You had a launch event or an know, exhibition, exhibition launch, yeah. yeah. Made a big deal of it. We had Brendan Courtney, the RT presenter. He he was fantastic. He came along because I, I, I'm friends with him and I asked him, would, would you mind, you know, I'm seeing the night. And he said, I would love to. Great. Because he's all about it. He's all, he, like he's into all that kind of stuff. He's a really good guy. And we had loads of different people there. The HSE were there. Uh, Creative Ireland were there. I think actually the Arts Council were there also. Actually, the Arts Council definitely were there because it was a, a Brazilian lady that works at the Arts Council and I was speaking to her in Portuguese. We had all of the participants come up. We had champagne and lovely reception. Made a massive deal of it. You know, we had all of the participants' pictures up on the wall. Then we had other photographers from the Photo Museum of Ireland. They were taking pictures of all of the participants standing in front of their pictures. I think I saw some of them online. Yeah, they're lovely. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was such a beautiful night and they deserved to be made a big deal of. And then we had an outdoor projection on a big massive screen. So aside from just taking pictures in this project, which was meant to be my only remit of this project, I used the time and space to give extra to the project actually and I made a short video to accompany the pictures and I, what I wanted to do was capture the moment in the beginning you know hello my name is and I'm from and then 
go into the actual pictures. So we had this big, huge projection, big, massive screen outside in uh, Temple Bar. And everyone was outside in the main square and we were looking up at it. And it was just, it was a beautiful experience to see these travellers see themselves up on a big screen for the first time. And since then, like from on the back of that project, another one of the participants has been in a TV show, which will be out on RT soon. Chantelle, her name is. Emily is looking, she's been lined up to do more modelling shoots. Emma Ward, as I said, she's becoming a journalist. Very good. Yeah, yeah. So like they're, they're all I think they're all shooting off into different directions now. Helena Power wants to get involved in politics. Yeah. I know I tried to warn her against it, yeah. but she wasn't having it, you know. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's, it's fantastic that they feel empowered enough to, to jump into any sphere that their imagination is sparked to go into, isn't it? All it took, look, just tell people. Yeah. You can do it. Yes. Whatever it is you want to do, we'll help you. In terms of your own kind of, you know, like we spoke at the beginning, you're, you're bubbling over creativity. I, I see your own podcast series, your TikTok videos, your parody songs. What one was all it? of that? Like, 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 uh, so, like, so all of my social media stuff, yeah. as in TikTok, Facebook, all of the parody singing, Instagram, YouTube, all of that was a bit of crack. Yeah. That was for my followers. Because when I go to sell shows, they respect me enough and respect my career enough to invest in my career and they pay for tickets to go. So you're entertaining you, them for you free. You don't get any money yeah, for doing the social course. media stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was giving back almost a video a day and the same then with the, the, the podcast, the Has Been Show. I originally wanted it to be a bit of crack, a bit of fun, but then I was because I started getting more active on Twitter and Twitter's an awful look for making you realise that there are social issues out there, you know. Yeah. Not everything's a bit of crack. So I was like, well, look, I'm doing comedy in every other aspect of my life or I'm doing writing or, bit of, you know, having a bit of fun. And I wanted to use the platform that I had with the podcast to bring up actually some of the, the social issues. Like, you know, we would have talked about, you know, autism in, in the community. I was listening to the episode on with Rosemary Mahan yes. about autism because I know Rosemary I've worked with her a long time ago but she's been so proactive on Twitter around promoting autism and you know, she's a she's a parent of a child with autism and she's she's fantastic she's brilliant yeah, she's a powerhouse yeah, she, she, well, she really is a powerhouse yeah. I was laughing to myself when she said when you when you said on the podcast that she's she schooled you about <laughs> about uh, terminology because she would have schooled me back yeah. in the day as well like she's a powerful lady yeah so it's great to see travellers like that you know, I suppose using their platform even for that extra niche of hmm. traveller with autism. Of course. So there was other episodes then I would have had one around LGBT travellers, which was it was really powerful because for the first time... Oh, you Huey Mahan on that? I did, yeah. But for the first time, oh, Huey's, Huey's well used to the media as, sure. as I am, you know. And he's a fantastic speaker because he just, he holds no punches. But for me, the standout person was Ruby O'Brien the first openly identifying trans traveller. Right. And it had never, it, like a trans traveller has, has never been in, to put their in the media the before. Yeah. No. So on the back of that then I was like, oh, well, hang on a second. My podcast is only getting a certain amount of views and listens. I'm kind of using a momentous occasion here. Uh, I'm, I'm losing the, you know, I suppose the reach it could have. So then I pitched it to I was thinking it was the Irish, I was the Irish Times, yeah. And I wrote a, a, a column on, on, based on the conversations that we had on the podcast. 
and they organised a photographer to go and meet Ruby who was in London at the yeah. time and again it became the first time in Irish media where a trans traveller was in the newspaper and that's that made it worth I, I wasn't getting a penny for this by the way yeah. you know and, and I wasn't looking to but it was the payment of seeing these things happen for the first time and another person then Trish Riley spoke about you know when she was a child when the cruelty man that'd be one of your predecessors <laughs> would have come along and and basically kidnapped because I wouldn't have any other word for it kidnapped traveller children from their parents and put them into care homes because they deemed that the traveller way of life living on the road was not conducive to a healthy upbringing yeah. and that was that was the rhetoric that was used and she was put into a care home and she spoke about herself and her sisters being torn away and then being scrubbed with carbolic soap and washed down with cold water and given secondhand clothes and then being deloused. This is, this is what she started talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, that was ex- incredibly important, that kind of conversation, because I wasn't even aware of the extent of which that happened. Yeah, no, that's really, really powerful stuff. It, uh, but this is what I'm saying. So it's not just comedy. I know, I know. I'm able to have those hard conversations because of an interest in people. And I think that... You can have all the crack that you want, but if you've got a platform, at some point you have to ask yourself the question, what am I giving back? Yeah. And in terms of like your identity as a traveller and a gay traveller, like you seem to be given back even by being out there. I mean, visibility is yeah, key, yeah, to, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah. Has that been like, have you ever, has that weighed heavily on you? Because it doesn't seem to. Well, it doesn't seem to now, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but it, 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 I've been it, through a process. It absolutely would have at, at one point or another. Oh, look, Irish society is very progressive, say, at the moment. But it hasn't always been that way. And it's only been that way in the last, let's say, five to ten years. But if you're a child growing up in the 90s, not long after the decriminalisation of homosexuality, yeah, by the yeah. way, which was, what, 1994, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Could the leap of which Irish society has gone... Obviously and inevitably, there are going to be situations where an LGBT person would find it difficult to feel wholesome or to feel totally content with their own identity. Absolutely not. And when you've got a duality to your identity and you're part of another group that's been marginalised or oppressed or hated in the media or warned about in the media, you're going to feel that on, on, on multiple fronts. And that's the reality of that. So, of course, I would have felt several times throughout my life that I wished there was a straight pill. Right, um, right. Yeah, there have been times and I, I don't know, like when I was younger, thinking something wrong with me, you know, this would be so much easier if I was straight. Yeah. And I mean, practically, actually, if you think about it, the amount of women that hit on me, it would be easier if I was straight, I'll be totally honest with you. But maybe I give off that vibe of, um, you know, he can cook. <laughs> you know, wouldn't look at me. Would tell you. He likes his food, that fella. So he's he emotionally would, intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, all jokes aside, of course. But there, there were certainly difficulties, and my heart goes out to any young person today who might identify as trans, because one look on social media will tell you the environment in which they're growing up, and if you were to cast your mind back to the rhetoric used around gay people, gay men in particular, 
it was the whole protect your children, mind your children, they're coming for your children. I mean, in the 1950s and 60s, there was advertisements on TV telling you to be watched, be careful of the homosexual man. You know, these yeah. these existed. So that rhetoric is just being rehashed. And now the trans community are called groomers or, you know, protect your children from the trans community. And yeah, this is yeah, this yeah. is a scary time to be trans. Yeah. So they're growing up in this environment. There needs to be a lot of protections put in place for their mental health. There really has to be. Yeah. Regardless of how whether you agree with LGBTism or not or, or trans issues or not, doesn't matter. Break it down to the most simplest form. It is a person. It is another person's life. Do your views matter so much to you that you have to assert yourself against somebody who is already in a vulnerable position? And do you have to assert yourself to the point where you have to make them feel as though that their existence doesn't matter? Yeah, that that, that reminds me of your your point that I've heard you say before about empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, like treating people that might not think like you. You're either you're you're encouraging them to be empathetic, but you're treating them with empathy as well in a way. But you're you're kind of inviting them. Oh, you can you disagree said, with somebody. As, as you just said, yeah. there, to see the person. Yeah. I, I thought that was very much on show when you were on that piece with George Hook. <laughs> yeah. And he was asking you, you're really a traveller, you're really gay, you know, in kind of disbelief <laughs> that you might be sitting across from him. I suppose, and, and that's a perfect moment. That was Virgin TV or something. Virgin Media, Virgin yeah. Media. Eating with the Enemy was the name of the show. And that was a perfect, I suppose, example of what I mean. You can totally disagree with somebody. But when I sat down in front of him... George Hook, he, I, I saw a man in his 80s who grew up in a time where the mentality of the public was vastly different to what it is now. And I felt as though I didn't have the right nor the life experience to tell him or, try, or even attempt to try and change his mentality or way of thinking. I wasn't there to change his mentality. I was there to listen to him, have a conversation with him, and then have my say. That's how most conversations should go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't there to meet an enemy, funnily enough, given the name of the show. I, I sat down for a meeting of minds. I knew I was going to disagree with him as soon as I sat down. But I was like, this is an elder. This is a man in his 80s. I'm not going to win anything by badgering them or attacking them on, on, on TV. So I use it for what it was. It was, it was a moment to have a conversation with somebody who I would be, I suppose, opposed to in a lot of ways. Yeah. Or their opinion, sorry, not to him as a person. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, like, I see you as like a, like a, a very important voice and in the body of a traveler man, that's very powerful considering like where, like I, I started working with traveler men 20 something years ago. And I was told things like, you know, like there was men, traveler men that I'd be working with were quite defensive about homosexuality mm-hmm. and saying there's no tra- there's no gays in the travelers. Yeah. It's you you must be gay for bringing it up now and go on out. To see somebody like like after coming through a process, like you said there, but how do you how do you see that we can kind of promote traveler men's health? Now I see way more activity in that space in in recent years is way more travel organisations trying to reach traveller men. I think it's so important. I think more opportunities to have conversations, open conversations, yeah. actually. And a lot of those people that will be vehemently opposed say, oh, there's no such thing as a gay traveller. If they had any contact at all with actual gay travellers, it would demystify their own thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's about positive exposure. And it's, it's about, again, on a certain level, 
building of a capital, an emotional capital and a social capital and a capital of experience an experience of talking to somebody who is different than you. I mean, talking is important and creating opportunities for, for speaking and airing their concerns and things that even as stupid as some of them are, you know, it doesn't matter. It's about having the conversation. It's yeah. about allowing people to have the conversation and allowing people the space to ask questions even. It's back, but to, your, back to your basic expression point that you started with. 100%. Like a lot of... Talk therapy in, 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 yeah. in a different medium. But if you think about it, a lot of travel men don't have the opportunity to speak openly about their emotions or their feelings or even their political opinions. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're stifled. So then they're forced to have all of these opinions. And then in the last few years, what are they given? Everyone. Everyone's been given the a public notice board, the town the town notice board that is no longer just a town, but it's an international notice board. It's social media where people rush with their opinions. So where in the past you'd have you might have a brain fart, they're called, an idea or an opinion that pops up and it's not based on any fact or research, but you were never in a position where you, you speak about your brain farts. You didn't have to publish it on the internet exactly. that morning. Exactly. We didn't have to. Your cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? Your neighbours didn't know yeah. about what, what about these silly thoughts that you have. But now all these silly thoughts, when they put when they put up, it's people people come along and they say, "Oh yeah, I never thought about it like that." Well, there's a reason why you never thought about it like that because it's not based on on, on rationale. This goes back to what I'm saying about travellers now as well. So traveller men in particular, they're not given the space to have these holistic conversations with each other or with other people or positive exposure with other people and their only outlet is social media. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, 100%. Okay, Martin, finally, I want to ask you about, you know, like we've mentioned loads of different fields that you're working in. Can you tell me about what you're looking forward to now? You have a lot of pots in the boil. <laughs> yeah, well, at the moment now, I'm finishing off my first play, which is The Dead House. And there'll be a showcase in Druid Theatre. I'm doing a residency program with Druid Theatre at the moment also. And then I'm hoping to take it on tour. And a week from now, well, nine days from now, I will be shooting the first episode of my television series with RTE. Can't go into much details, but it's an exciting one. Coming to a television near you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you're really going mainstream, like your profile and your... I've sold out, yeah. I'm not indie anymore. <laughs> I've gone pure mainstream. But your opportunities have mushroomed, haven't they? They really have, I have to say. And I'm very thankful for all the opportunities I've been given. And I imagine that my career path will diverge several times over again. Yeah. Things that I wouldn't have imagined doing, I would probably start doing. Again, it'll be central to expression. It'll be central to creativity, conveying a message, learning something. I, I love learning things, new things about people, about places. So, yeah, I'm very excited about, about what's coming up and a little bit nervous at the same time. Yeah, well, like it was, that's a great combination. It shows that you're hitting the sweet spot of course. if you're pushing yourself and you're still achieving. So I'd like to wish you the really best of luck. I really appreciate you coming in to talk to us about all those different things. We started off with, with, with clarity of subject, but we, we meandered and learned a lot of things. But I really do appreciate your honesty in telling me the different insights from your work and your upbringing. I think they're a really powerful story. Well, thank you very much for having me, for giving me the opportunity to uh, express myself today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> very great way, great way to finish it up. Okay, and thank you to the listeners for listening to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing. <laughs>